Thank you, Pastor. I sure appreciate that. Grab your Bible. Turn to 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel. If you, if you find Samuel, make sure you write that down. Some folks might be excited to see it once you find it. 2 Samuel chapter number 9. Chapter 11, excuse me. This is uh, one of those chapters that you come to in your personal Bible reading and you kind of would just rather avoid it altogether, to be quite honest. I mean, it's, it's heartbreaking. You read it, you know it's coming, and you come to it and you think about David and you think about this great sin, one of the things that he was marked by. And uh, just this morning, someone gave me this book. It's a sportsman yearbook. It's from 1945. And you read this book, it'll give you uh, the up-to-minute information. It might be a little bit dated. Uh, the up-to-minute information on firearms, fishing, tackle, dogs, boats, and skeet. Now, for me, it has pictures in there, so that kind of helps. <laughs> you can look through here. It'll, it'll teach you how to fly fish. It'll tell you how to work that out. It'll tell you how to tie things on. And it says a few things about hunting. And it's got some cartoons along the way to kind of, again, keep, keep people make, like me engaged. And I find it's, it, it really is a handy book. I gave it a quick, a quick uh, glance this afternoon. And uh, a lot of the information that's in it is helpful. You can still use it today as you're going out and as you have a, a desire to, to participate in these things. God's given us so much to enjoy in, in, in creation. And while it's helpful, I look at it and, I, and why, I just couldn't help but just, just get excited as we think about the book that God has given us. It's not just man's opinions. It's not just things that work, things that didn't work. God, God has given us his word, and I believe everything, every detail in his word has a purpose. It does. But man, I just don't like reading this chapter. It just, you, just, you just get mad. You get angry at David. Man, what were you thinking? And as I came through my, my personal Bible reading, the Lord kind of taught me a few things, and I said, well, God, if you give me a chance to preach it, I began working on the message. Little did I know that a pastor would ask me to preach it. So this is what we're going to look at today. I've titled the message, I just, I just Want to Be Faithful During Times of Trouble. I just want to be faithful during times of trouble. Look with me in verse number 9 of 2 Samuel chapter number 11. I'm a little nervous because this is not like a normal message that I would preach. So... Uh, it, this, this could end very badly, or it could be a great encouragement to you. We'll see how it goes. Um, we'll see. Second Samuel chapter number 11 and verse number 9. Pastor reminded us this morning there's no confidence. We have no confidence in our flesh. And uh, I can remember seeing the, uh, the biggest buck I've ever seen in the woods running my way right towards me. And I, I, I kid you not, I whispered to myself, don't mess this up as I missed that shot. I didn't get this. I missed. I made the second shot. He's hanging in my office. But I get to this. I don't. I don't want to mess this up. I want you to see what God has for. I, I think God has given us something in this story. While, while it's a tragic story, while it's one that we we would come to it, we would just rather not read it. We would just rather bypass it. Just just move on to something else. We we know the horrible sin. We know the dangers of sin. We we receive that warning. We understand it. But God has given us something, and I, I think it'll be great. I, matter of fact, I would say go to, so, so far as to say I believe that what God's given us today it'll change the way we read this chapter for the rest of our lives. 
I think the next time we come to this chapter in our Bible reading, we will not look at it. While we do look at it with sobriety and seriousness, and we know we understand the dangers of sin, but we can look at this and we can say, you know what? I can be encouraged in this chapter, in this horrible chapter, this mark, this stain on David's life. I can. I can be encouraged. Look with me in verse number 9, would you? This is, you know the story. Uh, uh, David has sinned with Bathsheba. Uh, he has a child with her. He's now going to concoct this, uh, this plan to try to get Uriah to come home off the battlefield and try to cover his sin. Just read, read with me very quickly here in three verses. But Uriah, uh, David sends home a whole mess of meat behind him. He says, look, surely he's going to go home and see his wife. This will be a good thing, and no one's going to know about this. In verse number nine, but Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and went not down to his house. And when they had told David, saying, Uriah went not down into his house, David said unto Uriah, Camest thou not from thy journey? Why then didst thou not go down unto thine house? And Uriah said unto David, The ark and Israel and Judah abide in tents. And my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go into mine house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife as thou livest? And as thy soul liveth, I will not do this thing. Title the message, I just want to be faithful during times of trouble. There are some things, there are some things that I will not do. Let's pray and ask God to help us as we get into this. Father, we lift up your name today. We're thankful, God, to be in your house. Lord, settle my heart. and Lord, help me to uh, take the things that you've taught me, take the things that we've talked about, things that have been a great help to me, have been a great help to me. Lord, I understand that. Some of those things were just for me. I know that. But, God, I think there's something here that's for everyone in the house today. I think it's a great encouragement. I think it's something that uh, your word does. I think it's something that your Holy Spirit does. So, Father, as best we know how, we're asking God, we're turning this service over to you. We're asking God that you'd speak to our hearts. Lord, there be any sin in our heart, Lord, help us to confess it, that there's nothing between us. Uh, Father, that you can have free reign in this service. Lord, encourage us. Help us. As we recognize that we all, we all will come across times in our life where there's times of trouble. And we're going to be called upon to be faithful. And we just need to mind the Lord. We just need to be faithful. So, God, I pray you'd help us tonight. We'll thank you. We'll praise you for it. We'll give you all the glory. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 11. Now, I understand he's talking about the, the Israelites in the wilderness specifically here in this, in this text. He says in verse number 11, Now, all these things happen unto them for in samples. They are written for our admonition upon whom the whole ends of the world are come. Paul's writing, he says, listen, these things happened and they're recorded for us. And by, by way, they are living examples. They lived this out and we got to see this. And we've already mentioned how David has, has lived out this horrible sin and we use it. And, and, and we use it as an example. We use it as a warning. And we use it as a, a, to, to take heed, to protect the relationships that God has given us, to, to, to respect the boundaries that God has given us, to recognize that at any time that you and I step outside those boundaries, it is quite possible that our lives will never, ever, ever, ever be the same. Yes, we can be forgiven. Yes, we can be restored. But it is quite possible that we can do something so, so egregious that it will affect our lives and the people we love the dearest in our lives for the rest of our lives. It is quite possible. And I would, you know, I would encourage you, take heed lest you fall. But I look at this and, man, it's right there. There's another living example. There's another end sample in this, in this chapter. Uh, hold your place here in 2 Samuel. Go, go to Matthew chapter number 1. With God's help today, I want to just show you some things that I've studied, some things that I've looked through, and some things that have been a great help to me. 
I believe that God gives us a living example, an example in the life of Uriah. He's often referred to as Uriah the Hittite. The text that we're going to look at here, you'll notice that the Hittite is dropped off of that. In Matthew chapter number 1, this is the lineage of the Lord. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac begat Jacob. Jacob begat Judas uh, and his brethren. And Judas begat Pharez. That would be Judah there in, the, in, the, in uh, Genesis. That we, would, we would say it in the Hebrew there. Uh, we'll translate it from that. Uh, Pharez and uh, Zara of, of uh, Thamar or Tamar. And Pharez begat Eskron, Eskron begat Aaron, and Aram uh, begat Abinadab, and Abinadab begat Nason, and Nason begat Salmon, and Salmon begat uh, Boaz or Boaz of, uh, uh, of uh, Rechab or uh, Rahab, and Boaz begat Obed of Ruth, and Obed begat Jesse. And Jesse begat David the king, and David begat Solomon, and her that had been, with the, that had been the wife of Urias. So obviously, the, because we're coming from Hebrew to English and then Greek to English, some of the, some of the names sound a little bit different. But you recognize in the, midst, in the midst of the genealogy of Christ, you see some amazing love stories between man and woman. You see some amazing love stories of redemption, really. As you and I would look at it through our Christian eyes, we might not look at them and say, well, that's, really, that's not really an amazing love story. That was kind of not really good the way that worked out. But God has a way. See, when we, when we think about the Judah and Tamar, we read about that sin in, in Genesis chapter number 38, the sin of adultery, where, uh, where uh, Tamar uh, tricks Judah, really, to have a child with him. And we think about Rahab. Well, she was known as Rahab the harlot, and, and she's from Jericho. We think about Ruth, the, the, the Moabitess. This is, this is from a people that were a product of, of, of an ancestral relationship with Lot and his daughters. We, we would look at that and say, well, these aren't really amazing love stories. They're really not. They're really not wholesome or, or Christian, as we like to say. Then we look at Bathsheba, and we think, man, what a, uh, what a failure that was. But I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm encouraged tonight that God takes the failures of man, the brokenness of man, and he, he, he breathes redemption into those lives. And we find this in the story, in the bloodline of Jesus Christ, our Savior. I sure am glad that God keeps his promises today. I, I, I think it's possible, I think it's quite possible that you and I uh, can begin to look at people, begin to look at situations, and just kind of write it off. And just kind of dismiss it. And, 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 and in many ways, we forget the beautiful work that God has done. I, I, th- I think there's a love story in here with Uriah. Uh, t- stay with me here. Let's, let's just go through some pages. Uh, go, go to Genesis 23. Genesis 23. What we find, I, I, I began to study, well, what do we know about Uriah the Hittite? Well, the Bible calls them Hittites, so I'd have to do a little bit of studying about the Hittites. Who are the Hittites and, and where they come from? Well, we find in Genesis uh, chapter number 23 that uh, Abraham is going to bury, he's going to bury Sarah. And he comes to uh, verse number 5 here. And the children of Heth uh, answered Abraham, saying to him, Hear us, my Lord, thou art a mighty prince among us, and the choice of our sepulchres bury thy dead. None of us shall withhold thee from, uh, from thee his sepulcher, but thou mayest bury thy dead. And Abraham stood up and bowed himself to the people of the land, even to the children of Heth. We would follow the children of Heth, the, the Canaanites, uh, all the way from, from, Can- from Canaan, from Ham, the bloodline of Noah through there. And he communed with them, saying, If you be your mind that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and entreat for me to Ephron, the son of Zohor. 
that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he hath, which is in the end of his field, for as much money as it's worth shall he give it me for a possession of a burying place amongst you. And Ephron dwelt among the children of Heth, and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham. We, we find that the Hittites, they, history tells us they, they originated in, in, in what we call modern-day Turkey. And they came down through Canaan land, and many of them settled in, the, in this place here. Now, now look over, look at verse number 19. This is, this is important to see this in verse number 19. And after this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah before Mamre, the same as Hebron in the land of Canaan. And the field and the cave that is, uh, that is therein um, were, were made sure unto Abraham for a possession of a burying place by the sons of Heth. So Hebron, Hebron becomes a place where many of the Hittites settle. Uh, they, they're, they're known in, the, in that area. They, they, we, we can see this. Uh, they, they, this is where they are. Now, now turn, turn to Joshua chapter number 9. Stay with me. You've got you to really pay attention. I, that's why I didn't give any slides because you might get distracted, and, and I might get distracted. So I have no slides tonight, just, just the Bible, all right? Turn to Joshua chapter number 9. So what's significant? Well, we, we, we know that the, the Hittites, they, they settled there in, in Hebron. And in Joshua chapter number 9, we, we find here that the children of Israel are, 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 are fighting uh, against, against the, the Hittites. We see this, and it came to pass. Verse number 1, when all the kings which are on this side of Jordan, the hills, on the valleys, and the coast of the great sea over against Lebanon, the Hittites, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite heard thereof, and they gathered themselves together to fight with Joshua and with Israel with one accord. So very quickly, the Hittites become an enemy of the children of Israel. We understand that. God, they are inhabiting the promised land. Uh, they're they're uh, involved in, in false idol worship, and this is part of, uh, part of God's, God's plan to move this. So we, we recognize that, uh, uh, turn to Exodus chapter number 10. Exodus chapter number 10. I want you to go back. I want you to see this. Exodus chapter number 10. All the way through, uh, we have from, from Abraham burying Sarah, we, we have Isaac and Jacob and, and Joseph. We find about the bondage and Israel and, and the, uh, the children of Israel uh, come out of, uh, uh, of Egypt. Now that we come through Exodus, look, look in chapter 10 and look with me in verse number 1 and verse number 2. And the Lord said to Moses, Go unto Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart. And in the heart of his servant, that I may show these signs before him, and that thou mayest tell in the ears of my son and thy son's sons what things I have wrought in Egypt, my signs which I have done among them, that ye may know that I am the Lord. So all these things are happening so that God can prove who he is. Now, now go back to Joshua chapter number 11. We find here uh, the children of Israel, they come in to take the promised land. Uh, they go in, they're fighting with the Canaanites. Uh, we see here in chapter 11, uh, God actually gives them the victory. Uh, now, 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 uh, uh, look at verse number, uh, verse number 6. The Lord said to Joshua, Be not afraid because of them, for tomorrow about this time will I deliver them up slain before all Israel. Verse number 8, And the Lord delivered them up into the hand of Israel. The time was when they would come in, they would conquer land. Sometimes they would just kill just the men, just the warriors. Sometimes they would kill everybody. And, and, and God gives them victory. God gives them victory. Where, where uh, Joshua goes in, and he's actually going to, uh, going to destroy the land. Now look at verse number 14, uh, chapter 14, excuse me, of Joshua. It's getting ready time to, to d divide the land of Israel. And Caleb, Caleb comes up, and Caleb says, listen, um, Moses and me, we made a deal. That's kind of what he says. We made a deal. He promised to me that he would give me Mount Horeb. And I, 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 I want that. I want that. 
uh, Mount Hebron, excuse me, Mount Hebron. Look at verse number 8. He says, uh, in making his, his request, he says, Nevertheless, talking about the spies that saw the land, Nevertheless, my brethren that went up with me made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. He said, do you remember when you sent us out? You told us to go in and look. Ten of the spies came back. They said, look, we can't do this. They're giants. and We're like grasshoppers to them. Uh, this is not going to work. There's no way we can do this. And, and, and ten of the spies convinced the whole nation of Israel not to go in. And we understand how, how God judged them. But Caleb makes a point here. He says, listen, because I, followed, I wholly followed the Lord. In verse number 9, he says, Because thou hast wholly followed the Lord my God. Look at verse number 13. And Joshua blessed him and gave unto Caleb, the son of Jephon, Hebron for an inheritance. This would be the same place where the Hittites are dwelling. Caleb now gets us for inheritance. Hebron therefore became the inheritance of Caleb, of the son of Jephon, of Kenzanite, unto this day, because, because that he wholly followed the Lord Thy God. Look at verse uh, chapter number uh, 15. So just because he gets it doesn't mean that he has it. He has to go in and, now, and now, now drive out the inhabitants of the land. Look at chapter 15 and verse number 13. And unto Caleb, the son of Jephani, he gave a part among the children of Judah, according to the commandment of the Lord to Joshua, and even the city of Arba, the father of Anak, which city is Hebron. And Caleb drove thence the three sons of Anak. These are the giants of the land. Uh, Sheshai and uh, Himon and Talmai, the children of Anak. Now, this is important because I think, I think, listen, if you came in at 85 years old and you conquered a land, I don't think people would soon forget what you did. Matter of fact, I think for generations, people would talk about the faith of a man called Caleb at 85 years old who wholly followed the Lord his God. And that, that would have been something that would have been, uh, a lot of stories would have been told about a man named Caleb. So think about it. Think about it. If, if Uriah had grown up in Hebron, what would he have heard about the Lord God of Israel? What would he have heard? What would he have heard about the Red Sea and the Jordan River crossing? What would he have heard about this, this man, Caleb, at 85 years old, uh, still, still so, uh, following the Lord, still having a desire to, Lord, to serve the Lord and, and, and in battle and fighting out these things? Some things began to happen in the life, in the life of Uriah, I believe, there in Hebron. I, 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 I believe he began to, to hear about the God of heaven. And I, I, I kind of get the idea that he said, you know, I, I think I want to be one of these, these strangers in the land that is not born a Jew but begins to, uh, to live uh, the Jewish life. This is significant because I, I want you to go back in 2 Samuel. So why is it important if we, if, we, if we try to establish that Uriah grew up in Hebron? First, I can't dogmatically tell you that he grew up in Hebron. I'm, we're, we're making some, some spiritual assessments here, all right? But I, I, think it'll, I think it'll make sense. Stay with me. Look back in 2 Samuel, chapter number 11. David inquires about uh, Bathsheba. He sees, that, he sees her bathing. And uh, look at verse number 3. And David sent and inquired after the woman. And one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Now that's significant. We, we know about, we know about uh, Uriah. We've, we've learned some things. We know he was a Hittite. Based on that, we can make an assessment. There's probably a good likelihood that he grew up in Hebron. There's a good likelihood that he heard some things about a man named Caleb. There's a good likelihood that he, that he realized there's one true God, Jehovah. And I think, I think he tells us so much or so in his own, in his own uh, pronouncement. In the, in the text that we read as we got started. But what about, what about Bathsheba? Well, Eliam, 
uh, is her dad. Obviously, we, we see this. In Second Samuel, uh, turn to chapter number 23. Hold your place there. We're going somewhere. Don't worry. Do you use that one, that one in outline. We'll give you one here at the end. Uh, don't worry. It's coming. Look at Second Samuel chapter number 23. Towards the end of, of David's life, the Bible records to us the list, the list of David's mighty men. And look at verse number 8. It says, These be the names of the mighty men whom David had. The Tecmanite, who sat in the seat chief among the captains. So they go, on, they go on to list all the names. Look at verse number 34. Who do we see here? Eliphat, the son of Abishai, the son of Machathite. And there's Eliam, the son of Ahithophel. I don't think I knew that. I didn't know that Eliam was one of David's mighty men. Bathsheba's own daddy was one of David's mighty men. Oh, but don't, don't turn away too quick. Look at verse number 39. There's Uriah the Hittite. Wow. David, or David's mighty men. Eliam is Bathsheba's dad, and he's one of the mighty men. And there's Uriah the Hittite, and, and he's one of the mighty men. Now, go, go back to Joshua. Go back to Joshua chapter 15. They're dividing out the land. And as they're dividing out the land, they, they, they basically say, they draw it up and say, here's who, here's who gets this, who gets this. And they're dividing out the land for Judah. All right? Remember, Judah is where Caleb is from. He's, the tribe, he's from the tribe of Judah. It says here in, uh, in uh, first John, uh, Joshua chapter 15, verse number 51, these are the cities that are being given away as part of the, as part of the inheritance to, for Judah. And Goshen, and Holon, and Gilo. Gilo. Well, the verse we just read in, in, in 2 Samuel 23, Eliam was called a Gilohite. So that's the town where, where Eliam must have been from. Gilo is a Gilohite. A Gilohite is from Gilo. That's where he's from. That's where Eliam's from. That's interesting. We'll just keep reading a little bit. And there's, there's some other names here. Duma, Ishan, and Jim, all these other cities. But, but look at 54. And Humta and Kerjath Jarba, which is Hebron. That's interesting. I got a, a Bible map out and I looked at it, and, and Hebron is it's, it's, it's about five to six miles away from, from Gilo. Five to six miles away. Could you just imagine that uh, e- e- Eliam's growing up and he's, he's starting a family and they're serving the Lord? They're Israelites, they're the tribe of Judah. And here comes this little Hittite boy. He's, uh, he's kind of, he keeps, he keeps wanting to be like us. He keeps following us when we go up to, to Shiloh. He keeps, he keeps uh, uh, listening when we're, when we're talking about things that Moses taught us. What, what, what's that Hittite boy? Why does he keep coming around? Oh, he's, he's around the same age as Bathsheba. Mm. I don't know about this. You know, honey, I just, I, he's, he's a Hittite. Well, you know, she really likes him. Yeah, but I know he's, he's a Hittite. I just, no, he's got a, I'm going to keep my eye on him. I think that's good for a dad to keep an eye on a young boy that likes his daughter. I, I'm going to keep, Eliam says, I'm going to keep an eye on him and we'll, we'll just see what happens. And all of a sudden they say, hey, listen, it's time, it's time to go up to Gilgal. Uh, they're they're, they're, they're going to have, they're going to anoint a new king. And here comes Eliam with his family. Here comes Uriah, that little Hittite boy, just running along trying to show off and, 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 and try, trying to be, come on, let's go. And off they go, and, and he's there. And he begins to grow up. And every time he gets a chance, he gets a chance to say hello to Bathsheba. There he is. Well, 
Saul's the king. Well, the prophet said that, that uh, Saul's going to take your men and put him in his army. I, I just happened to believe that Uriah said, here I am. I'll go. I'll go. I'll, I'll be in your army. I want to prove myself that, that I love the God of the heaven. I want to prove myself that I'm no longer uh, serving the gods that the Hittites serve. I want to follow God, and I want to follow God's man. I think that's a good thing for even you and I to say today. I want to follow God. I want to follow God's man. I have to believe, I have to believe that Uriah was one of the first ones that volunteered, said, I'll be in Saul's army. He would have heard, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 12. If that's the case, if he was one of the first ones in the army, he would have heard Samuel the prophet speak these powerful words. Speak these powerful words, a great charge to, to, the, to the, the, the men of God, to, to King Saul and to his men. 1 Samuel chapter 12, look with me in verse number 21. And turn ye not aside... For then should ye go after vain things which cannot profit nor deliver, for they are vain. For the Lord will not forsake his people. I just happen to believe that Uriah says, yes, I know I'm on the right team. Yeah, that's good. Yes, I want to be like that. I, that's the group that I'm in. They serve the one true God, Jehovah. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great namesake, because it hath pleased the Lord to make you his people. Only, look, I, 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 man, I think Uriah's sitting down. I think he's writing down every, everything he can. He's writing it down. Boy, he doesn't want to miss a word. There he is. He says, he says, listen, only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart. For consider how great things he hath done for you. He says, boy, I can't, I can't help it that I was born a Hittite. I can't help it that my people have a history of, of, of worshiping false idols, doing unspeakable things. I can't help that, but I can fear the God, uh, the Lord God of heaven. I can trust in God Almighty. That's something that I can do. I bet, I bet he folded that up and he said, boy, I'm going to hang on to that. I may need that at some point in the future. It might be very important to me one night, one time when there's a time of trouble, I need to remind myself of the God of heaven that I serve. I think he would have been there. I think he would have been there when, when Saul lost the kingdom. Why, 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 why is he offering? Why doesn't he just wait for the prophet? The prophet's going to come. What's he doing? Oh, I can't believe he's doing that. I think he would have been there when, when Goliath stood up and he cursed the children of Israel. And not, not, a, not one soul as Andy Griffith would say, not narrow one of them stood up against Goliath. Nobody. I have to believe that maybe he sat back and said, I, I don't know, maybe. Couldn't somebody do something? I mean, we serve the God of heaven. And all of a sudden, I think he would have heard out of the, in, the, in, the, in the background a little shepherd's boy uh, talking to his brothers. And he makes that famous, that famous statement, is there not a cause? I think he would have heard David's rebuke to Goliath. I think it would have reminded him of Caleb, the son of Jephani, who drove out those, 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 those giants out of Hebron. I think he would have said, oh, man, I, that's, I heard stories about him. Now I can see this young boy, and he, he's, he's killing Goliath. We move, we move quickly through the pages of, of David's life, and Saul tries to kill him in chapter 18, and, and, and we see that, that Uriah, I believe Uriah would have been one of, this is where he, uh, he meets David. Look at, uh, look at chapter 18. 1 Samuel chapter number 18. First Samuel chapter number 18. Saul's trying to kill David. And David realizes, you know what, we, we, we need to leave. David behaved himself, verse 14. David behaved himself wisely. 
in all his ways. Wherefore Saul saw that he behaved himself wisely, he was afraid of him. He couldn't believe uh, that, that David was who he said he was. Now look at verse number 27. Wherefore David arose and went, he and his men. This would have been the time that, that Eliam and, and Uriah and these other men, they would have, they would have left Saul's, Saul's army and joined, and, joined, and joined with David. If that's the case, then, 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 then uh, Uriah gets a, a front row seat to the, the two times that, that David could have killed uh, Saul. And, 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 and with great uh, character and great integrity, he said, no, I, I can't do that. If that's the case, then Uriah would have seen the times where, where David inquired of the Lord, where David humbled himself. If that's the case, then, then uh, Uriah would have been there at uh, the time when uh, uh, David and his men came back to Ziklag, and Ziklag had been taken, and all their wives and all their children had been taken, and the city is on fire, and the men are standing around David. They're ready to stone him, and the Bible says that David encouraged himself in the Lord. And they all went back, and everything, everyone was recovered. Uriah would have been there. I wonder. I mean, there's Uriah fighting with Eliam. I wonder if, if he stayed right next to the lion the whole time. He said, where's Bathsheba? Where's your family? I'm, I'm going to come with you. I'll stay with you. We'll get your family first. All these things could have transpired. There, there's so many things that, 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 that uh, uh, Uriah would have got a front row seat. He would have, he would have saw uh, uh, Samuel and he would have saw David and heard David. These people of the faith live out their faith in front of him. And something about that, something about that clicked in his life. And he says, I want that. Can I remind you tonight that we have, we have a, 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 a generation that's watching us. We have our children and our grandchildren. We have our brothers and sisters in Christ. They're watching us. They're watching how we handle trials. They're watching how we handle troubles. And I'm just telling you tonight that when, when trouble comes, I just, I just want to be faithful. I think Uriah, we're getting close to the end here. Go to 1 Samuel chapter number 9. I think Uriah would have been there when David said, is there anybody that I can show kindness to? 2 Samuel chapter 9. I think Uriah would have been there when David said, hey, why don't you find somebody in Jonathan's family that I can be kind to. In, the, in 2 Samuel chapter 9, we have the story of Mephibosheth, probably the greatest picture of salvation in the Old Testament that we can look at, one of the great pictures. Mephibosheth had no control of the family that he was born in. By the way, you and I, we have no control of the family we're born in. We're all born in the devil's family. We're all born with sin nature. We're all born at enmity against the Lord because of that sin nature. There's Mephibosheth. He had no control of what family he was born in. All of a sudden, the king comes one day, and he wants to show him kindness. And he pulls him out, and Uriah would have been there. And I think he said, boy, I'm glad I'm on this team. I'm glad I'm on the right team. I'm glad I serve the God Jehovah. He would have been there when he saw that kindness. As, uh, as Uriah looked at a cripple... The Bible tells us in verse number 12 that Mephibosheth had a young son. I wonder if, I wonder if Uriah said, hmm, Mephibosheth has a family. Maybe it's time for me to start having a family. And he went to Eliam and said, hey, Eliam, what do you think? Have I proved myself? Have I showed you that I serve the God that you serve? Have I proved that I love the God that you love? 
Can you imagine what a man Uriah must have been to win the heart of Bathsheba? Imagine how beautiful that would have been. All right. They've been in battles together. They've been in uh, long nights together. They've, been, they've seen some horrible things together. And finally, finally, Uriah says, hey, 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 Liam, I think it'd be a good idea. Can I have your, wife, your daughter's wife, your daughter's hand in marriage? Excuse me. Just think about it. They only grew up, I, I think they only grew up about six miles away from each other. I think they knew each other for quite a long time. I think the lion being a good Hebrew daddy, I think he would have waited after Uriah proved himself. I kind of get the idea that they were newlyweds because Bathsheba has no children yet. We, we, we come to chapter 11, and there's a little bit of, there's a, there's a lull there in, in battle, so to speak. It, things kind of slow down. There's no major battles going on. It's kind of, kind of a e- time of ease a little bit. There's little skirmishes here and there. That's probably why, why David felt it was okay for him to stay back. Not a whole lot, of big, whole lot going on. And I think, like Uriah said, hey, Eliam, I think it's time. I think it's time for us to get married. And I just wonder if David heard about it and said, hey, Uriah, you, you've been good to me. You've been faithful. I want you to have a place right next to mine. Because as a king, I put my most, my most loyal people right next to me. And Uriah, you proved yourself. I want you to have, I want you to have a house next to mine. The Bible doesn't indicate that. I don't, I don't think David knew Bathsheba. As a matter of fact, he asked who she was. I don't think David ever met Bathsheba. I don't think he went to the wedding. matter of fact, I think it was probably a short wedding. He said, you know what? We're going to, we're going to go out to battle. Let's get married. And we'll do the honeymoon when I come back from battle. I think they were newlyweds. They, they just got started out in life. And that's when we come to this, to this place. Yeah. yeah, it's a bad story. David's sin and the cover-up. But I, instead of focusing on how I hate the death of Uriah, I want to focus tonight very quickly on how I love the life of Uriah. I want you to look at the character that Uriah shows. Look at Second uh, Samuel chapter 11. Look at his response. He tells you all these things. He tells you everything right here in verse number 11. Uriah said to David, The ark and Israel and Judah abide in tents, and my lord Joab, his servants, my lord, are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go into mine house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife as thou livest and as thy soul liveth? I will not do this thing. Look at the character of Uriah. Notice the ark. The ark speaks to the presence of God. He would have known about the ark. He would have known about the holies of holies. They would have told him all these things. He would have known about the two tables of stone. He would have known about the man that's in there. He would have heard about the Red Sea crossing. He would have heard about the Jordan River and how the ark went first and the water flipped over. He would have heard all these things. He knew, Uriah knew that, hey, listen, the ark is a picture of the presence of God. And he said, because of the presence of God, I cannot do this thing. I cannot go back home and live like everything is okay. I cannot go back and be with my wife and eat and drink as if nothing's going on because the presence of God is not here. David, the presence of God is on the battlefield. I just can't. There's some things I cannot do, and that's not one of them, because the ark is the presence of God. He talked about the, he talked about the nation of Israel. He says the ark and Israel. Israel is a picture of the people of God. He knew about the 12 tribes. He knew about uh, the mixed multitude that came up out of Egypt. He knew about the strangers in the camp. Pastor talked about this in Leviticus chapter 19 today, where uh, the Bible says that you're, you're to treat them as, as one of your own, one that was born unto you. He knew all about that. He knew that he was included in the people of God, and he knew there was something special about the people of God. He, in essence, what he said was, I want to be faithful. I want to be faithful because of the people of God in my life. 
He just wants to be faithful because of the presence of God and the people of God in my life. He says here, the next thing he says here is Judah. He says the the ark and Israel and Judah abide in tents. Judah represents the promise of God. He knew about the promised land. He knew about how everything was divided out. He knew how things were going to lay out. He knew that uh, uh, the, the, tri- the line of the tribe of Judah would come from, from Judah. The, the Messiah would come through, through this bloodline. He knew all of these things. And he says, I want to be faithful because of the promises of God in my life. Can I tell you today, it'd be good for us to make a decision in times of trouble. I just want to be faithful. I just want to be like Uriah. I don't know tonight if you're going to run out and buy a Uriah costume for the next truth and treat. I don't know that's going to happen. I don't know there's a market for it out there. I don't know that Uriah is ever going to make the the list of, of, of faithful men of God over the years. But can I just tell you today, there's something encouraging in the life of this man. He knew some things. He knew some things about God. He wanted to just be faithful. He wanted to be faithful because of the people of God, because of the presence of God, because of uh, the promises of God. But he doesn't stop there. He even goes on to say, and Joab, and my Lord Joab and the servants of my Lord are encamped in open fields. He wanted to be faithful Because of the plan of God. He knew this was all part of God's plan. He didn't want to leave anyone out. Can I tell you that you and I need to have a desire to be faithful because God has a desire that he would receive glory in our lives so that more people can come to Christ. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4 through 6. Who will have all men to be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. You say, well, I don't know if he actually grew up in Hebron. And I really don't know if he actually met Bathsheba as a young boy and tried to court her like that. And I really don't know how close Uriah and Eliam would have been. You're right. You're right. But we do know what Scripture tells us. He says, I want to be faithful. I want to be faithful because of the presence of God, because of the people of God, because of the promises of God, and because of... The plan of God. Uriah sums it all up with one thing. He says, I will not, I will not, the last part of the verse, I will not do this thing. I cannot carry on as if nothing matters. I cannot go home and, and, and go on as if nothing, nothing matters. And I would submit to you today that, that we have faith, but I wonder, I wonder how full faith we have. I just want to finish with this. If I, if I were to take some, some water and dump that in there, boy, I hope I have enough water here. It's not going to be enough. We're going to co-mingle some water, Pastor. I should have planned this out ahead of time. All right, if I'm going to, we recognize right now this, this, this glass is not really full. It's got a lot of water in it, but it's not, it's not really full until we get all the way up to here. Now it's full. Now it's leaking. I want to be full of faith. No, no, no room for anything else. There's some things I will not do. Sir, you need to make a decision in your home and in your life that there's some things that you will not do because you want to be a person of faith. I told you that God and I, have, God always showed me some things. And I, as much as I want to go more times escaping us, but, but what's God telling you? Man, what is it in your life that, that you're lacking in faith? Could it be some things in your life that, that you make a decision that, you know what, I, this I will not do. I want, to be, I want to be full of faith. And we may have some young people in, in the room today. 
that are just waiting until mom and dad's iron grip of control lets go so they can go off and do their thing. Can I just encourage you? Be like Uriah. Because there's, 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 there's a good thing about the presence of God. The many things that you enjoy today are not by chance. They're God's blessings upon your family and upon your home. Amen. And the things that you're resenting the most are really the only good things you have in your life. Don't fight it. Don't resist it. Be a person of faith. Be like Uriah. Be like Uriah and make that commitment that I want to be full of faith. And I, there's a scoffer here, I know, that's saying, well, it didn't really end well for Uriah, did it? Didn't turn out too good for him, did it? Well, I would, I would say it ended well in God's eyes. Remember, we talked about it. He's mentioned in the, gene, the genealogy of Christ. He's no longer called the Hittite. He's just called Uriah. I would submit to you today, tonight, that if there is no Uriah, there is no Bathsheba living next to the palace. If there's no Bathsheba, there's no Solomon. And that, that all gets interrupted, that all gets changed. God will use some faithful people in times of trouble. Here's, here's my question, and we'll close. What is it that you need to be faithful in? What is it that you need to be full of faith in? In your home, in your marriage, in, in, in your life, in your personal devotions? What are some things that you need to purpose in your heart to say, I, this, I, I, I will not do it. I'm encouraged. I really am. I'm encouraged by the life of Uriah. From now on, when I come to this chapter, I cannot wait until I get to verse number 11 to read about a great man of faith who against all odds, God redeemed him. And against all odds, he, he stood up in, 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 in a time of trouble and he demonstrated himself to be faithful. I may never be a, a Roy Thompson, Kevin Folger, a Pete Folger, but by God's grace, with his help, I can be faithful. Amen. I would submit to you that more, more life is made up of faithful people than it is of, of faithful preachers. I just challenge you tonight. Be like Uriah. Be faithful. Make a commitment tonight. Make a commitment tonight that, that there are some things that you know that God's dealing with you in, that, that, you, that you want to be faithful in those things. Would you stand with me with your heads bowed and eyes closed?